Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 20th, 2021, including... Starfield is reportedly coming exclusive to Xbox early next year. EA Games is starting a new studio. Are Nintendo and Xbox making kissy face behind the scenes? And more. Welcome to week 102 of Xbox On, the Xbox podcast hosted by a man who hasn't played an Xbox game since Richard Nixon was in office. Yep, this is just one of those weeks. I don't really have anything cool to open the show with, but I would like to say we have a a decent show set for you this week. We actually have a pretty regular run of news, which I feel like we haven't had in a while. I feel like the ratio of comments to news this week will be pretty even unless we can find a way to get completely off track, which... You know we probably will, but with that said, let's jump into our corrections, things we need to bring up from last week. But first, some breaking news. Mavs Man has written in and said, This is not a drill. I repeat, not a drill. The Naked Chicken Chalupa is back at Taco Bell. App exclusive item for now, but hot damn, if you've never experienced it, do yourself a favor and consume as many as you can before it leaves us again. Guys, you heard the man. Drop what you're doing. I don't give a shit if you got to turn the podcast off. I don't care if you got to jump out of a, of, of a high-rise building to get out of your office job and rush on down to the nearest Taco Bell. This must happen right now because the Naked Chicken Chalupa is, while not, I wouldn't say top three best items of all time at Taco Bell, it is certainly, certainly up there. It's pretty damn good. And this is one I didn't think that they would, they would have come back because I figured Taco Bell was probably having a hard time finding chalupa shaped chickens but those bastards managed to do it again and here we are for those unfamiliar with the uh, naked chicken chalupa fuck you and second of all to catch up to speed the naked chicken chalupa is a chicken chalupa but instead of using a chalupa shell and, and adding in the chicken and the lettuce and the sour cream and the all the accoutrements it is rather a a fried chicken patty that is folded and shaped like a chalupa shell, and then the inside is topped with everything else. You know, you got your lettuce, your, to- your tomato, you got your sour cream, and all the uh, the cheese and all the goods there. But here's the genius of the naked chicken chalupa: is it foregoes the 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 carby bready exterior and just makes the the protein the star of the show while maintaining its chalupa form. This is Quite a, an amazing invention. I, I know there's a lot of people out there who scoff at these kinds of things and go, oh, that's so trashy and gross, and that's not even food. Chicken shouldn't be cha- shaped like a chalupa shell. Oh, this is this is ridiculous. This is consumerism at its worst, blah, blah, blah. Listen, you fucker. You stupid shit. You, you sorry sack of shit. Listen here. Is it such a crime that the good people at Taco Bell were looking out for us low-carbers thinking, man, how can we maintain the delicious flavor profile of our Taco Bell items while still catering to those who are on a low-carb diet or perhaps can't justify, you know, all the buttery goodness of a chalupa shell. How can we make this item more accessible to those who need the true nutrients that the human body requires? The protein, the vegetables, the protein, the cheese. 
you know, how the protein, how can we really appeal to those guests? How can we really cater to those specific primal needs? And I think the chicken chalupa is a work of art that serves that purpose quite well. Honest to God, like, I mean, you think about a steak. It's like steak is beautiful, not because they wrap it in a bunch of bread and top it with shit. It's because they know that the meat is the star of the show and they let it shine. And that's what the naked chicken chalupa does. It says, why do we call it a chicken chalupa if the shell is the majority of the of the composition of the item? But, you know, if we make the chicken the star of the show, then the name is true to form. And then we're not hypocrites. And then we can't be sued for false advertisement. So this is a foolproof lawsuit-proof, um, diet-complementary item that must be consumed, must be enjoyed. And you guys know Taco Bell. This thing will be on and off the menu in the blink of an eye. So I'm not joking. Mavs man isn't joking here. Get out and get yourself a fucking naked chicken chalupa. You got to order it on the app, though. No going up to the drive-thru and being cute. You got you to gotta pull out that that iPad mini in your pocket and go ahead and do do God's work and order order six or eight of those precious little things so that's first things first and in fact we don't even have any corrections or comments because as i've said in the past i don't do shit wrong i i'm I'm perfect so we don't have to correct anything with that said let's jump into our comments section our regular run of comments guys remember how this works you're thinking to yourself jesse i love that you read uh the comments on the show every week i love that you give the people a voice you let the voices of the good xbox people be heard but I feel like an Xbox voice with something to say, a burning a burning question in my head, a, a story in my heart that must be shared. How can I go about getting this story shared out there into the world or perhaps into the ether since probably no one's listening? And I would say to you, well, you go over to YouTube.com, you search up Second Best Gaming, you'll find my channel there. Please steer clear away from the Disney Infinity Let's Play videos from 2016 and just go ahead and click on that Xbox on playlist. You'll see every episode of the show. Click on the latest episode drop a comment and you'll likely get it right on the air. Remember, don't don't be like, "Oh man, Jesse's going to read my comment as long as I leave one sure. Let me leave a comment on episode 27." No, you idiot. I'm not looking for comments from episode 27. That was a very long time ago. There wasn't even a whole there wasn't even a whole pandemic back then, you dumb idiot. No, you got to leave a comment on the most recent episode. I'm not going back to the future with the comments here. I I only look at the most recent episode. Everything else is 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 dead and gone as far as I'm concerned. So leave a comment on the most recent episode. I will read it. You can say anything offensive. You can say anything kind and complimentary. We can start, we can have a constructive conversation. We can try and pick each other's brains and challenge our thoughts and beliefs. Or or we could just talk about menu items at Taco Bell. Either way, I'm game. Our first comment this week comes from Squall Flips Mad Max, who I still kindly request changes uh, his name on, on, on the YouTube because I really don't like reading that name every week, but I do like you, the man behind the Mad Max, who poses a question or poses a dilemma that I, I need to sh- spread out to you guys because I don't remember how to do this. But <laughs> the comment reads, the new quick resume is awesome. I had no idea how many games were already on it, and I was able to close out some games so I can be in my save state with other games. And also, I'm looking at Titanfall 2, and the FPS boost seems to be disabled. I can't click it. It won't let me. But the other day, I did see an FPS boost. I don't know what's going on here. I can't play 30, uh, and it sucks. I just got a new monitor and push. 120 FPS. So Squall here is is coming up with a, a dilemma, trying to get everything set up. I think so. Here's the thing, Squall. It's 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 totally dependent on what monitor setup you have. You, you I, so you're using a PC monitor that that supports 120 FPS. 
let me just tell you how it worked for me because I can only speak to setting it up on my console. It's the only way I've done it. So I have a I have a 4K TV that supports it supports 100. So I can do 120 FPS at 1080p, or I can do 4K 60 FPS with my TV. Or I don't have the what is it, the new H, HDMI 2.1 that's necessary to do the 120 FPS and 4K. Anyway, so on my console, the way I set it up is you go into the Xbox settings before you boot up the game, you set the display to 1080p and the refresh rate to 120 FPS, and then you go to the game, like in your My Games and Apps tab, you go to the game, and instead of clicking on it to open up the app, you press the start or the guide menu or whatever, and or the view menu. Fucking, I wish they'd go back to starting back. Anyway, you, you hit the view or the guide or whatever it's called, and you go into like the game management and there's an option in there to like enable FPS boost, enable uh, HDR and all these things. So that's where you click to enable it and then you open up the app and it should work. That's how it works on my system. I don't know about yours because I assume you can do the 4K 120 FPS on this monitor you're talking about, but that's how it works for me. I want to just put this out there because it's kind of a cumbersome and really an elegant setup as of now. And I want to just put it out there because I know there are many of you listening out there who are much more intelligent than I am, have a lot more tech savvy, uh, and, and would be better able to assist with these kinds of issues. So until Xbox makes more user-friendly solutions to these kinds of setup and specification, uh, setups, I, I, it, I just want to put it out there. Can anyone, can anyone help please? Anyone next Let's do a natural flow from game performance questions into sour, into sour cream talk. Let's get real. So Joe Murphy jumps in and says, congrats on 100 episodes and going. Love the show. Sour cream on every Taco Bell item makes them better. I eat Taco Bell at least three times a week and I crave it every day. Joe, normally I try not to be judgmental of you guys because who the fuck am I to judge? But I, I, I do got to say... Even as an unhealthy bastard, even as the unhealthy bastard that I am, uh, with my just lethargic, you know, physical activity routine and and, and poor diet, I've got to say, this comment concerns even myself. The fact that you eat Taco Bell a minimum of three times a week and you constantly crave it says that you have a problem. But then I thought about this comment further and I was like, well, that's a little, a little backwards. Maybe society has a problem for hearing a comment like that and having a red flag go up. Maybe, you know, the problem is that people don't accept your relationship with Taco Bell. So I maybe, I don't know. I don't mean to judge here, but the fact that you're craving Taco Bell every day and you eat it at least three times a week is both something I envy and something I have a deep sense of concern for you uh, regarding. So please, Joe, do yourself a favor. Try Try to, no, I'm not going to tell you what to do. If you want to eat Taco Bell three times a week, that's that's your decision. You're your own person. But I don't know, man. It's it's hard for me to say anything when I'm the guy just telling you to jump out of fucking building to get a naked chicken chalupa. So, Joe, thank you for being the brave adult that half of us are too afraid to be. So, Mr. Miggy says, Lol, you called me Sarugi after reading my comments, so I guess I'm secretly Sarugi too. The way you feel about ketchup is exactly the way I feel about sour cream and mayo. And I'm only okay with mayo when it comes to spicy mayo on Japanese rice bowls and the creamy jalapeno sauce on Taco Bell's quesadillas. All right, Mr. Miggy. First of all, calling you Sarugi too was a Freudian slip. Okay, so don't get don't get too don't get too flattered here. Okay, but uh, let's continue on with this this ketchup. Listen, man. Everyone has their own tastes and opinions. It's okay if you're not a, a sour cream mayo guy, but don't try to equate 
your disdain for sour cream and mayo to my to my burning hatred of ketchup, okay? Because it's not the same thing. And, and here's why. There's actually valid this isn't even me being cute. There's actually a valid reason to this, okay? There is a there is a function for mayonnaise. Mayonnaise has a culinary function. It is to add it is to add a creamy oiliness to foods to help accentuate drier foods um, and to help add a sense of creaminess to flavors that otherwise kind of brush up the, it kind of acts as like a, I don't know, like it's like a transition ingredient, right? So you think about like a turkey sandwich, right? You've got turkey and bread. The bread roll is delicious on its own. The turkey is delicious on its own and you put them together and it's not bad. But but the mayonnaise is basically like salt pe- salt and pepper. It's kind of the thing that harmonizes the ingredients together. It makes everything make sense. It adds a little bit of moisture because bread and turkey are kind of drier on their own. It adds a little bit of oiliness, which just makes it have a better mouthfeel. There is a purpose to mayonnaise. It is specifically there for a reason. Ketchup isn't like that. Ketchup is not there because it's like, oh, you know, a burger, a burger bun and a, a meat patty don't make sense without ketchup. Ketchup kind of brings them together. It's like, no, ketchup is an optional flavor you can add on to the burger that that you may or may not like. That's fine. But well, it's not fine, but it shouldn't be fine. But it's technically fine. Legally, it's fine. But the, the problem is ketchup doesn't serve like a necessary function. It doesn't help blend the flavors of the beef patty in the in the in the in the burger bun together in fact it masks the flavor of the burger patty so in in an instance where you're using ketchup what you're really saying is i dislike the flavor of this food so much i need to kind of mask it up with ketchup because if you're eating a real burger you're gonna have a slice and obviously i know ketchup has many applications outside of burgers but i think that's the default food item that people probably picture when you say ketchup you think of french fries or cheeseburgers or something but again the thing is a real burger either doesn't have any ketchup based products on it at all or it has a tomato slice and a tomato slice makes sense because while it's not completely necessary like the mayo is to the turkey sandwich it does add a add an added layer that that adds to the dynamic combination of flavors going on because a tomato is light it is fresh and in that sense you could say it serves a purpose because burgers are very dense and heavy and fatty and the burger adds a or the the tomato slice adds a sense of adds a little bit of freshness that helps kind of balance out that oily fattiness you know and that heavy dense bread feeling from the bun so you can argue that a tomato slice has a real purpose but when you try to boil it down into ketchup and make it all syrupy and sweet it just furthers the fatty, disgusting, overwhelming thing, and it masks the burger taste. So they're not equatable. And and of course, spicy mayo, you know, spicy mayo in Japanese rice bowls. You know, you're talking about like the mayo sauce on like a chashu bowl or like a spicy mayo on like some gringo sushi. I, I get that. That stuff's good. Jalapeno sauce, I get it. It's good. Aioli sauce is like a garlic aioli for your French fries or like for a craft burger. I get all that. Those are delicious. I, I I'm right there with you, sir. But I think I've made my case for why ketchup is an optional but a necessary condiment, and mayonnaise is a necessary uh, ingredient that helps that helps join things together. You know, you know how some people say like, "Oh, my relationship uh, with my partner wasn't all that great until we had a child," and you know that third pillar, having kids, is kind of what made our marriage work. Yeah, that's what mayonnaise is. It's that thing that kind of it it, it connects the dots and makes the whole thing form one cohesive unit. Ketchup is not that. Ketchup is 
the the side chick that daddy's cheating on mommy with and she's just muddying the waters and ruining the whole picture so get your ketchup out of my comment section get your ketchup out of my podcast and quite frankly keep your ketchup out of my politics um you also say i need those outro songs released well mr miggy thank you for uh, writing in about the songs that we play at the end of the show because as you know right now we we play a handful of tracks from two artists one of them is my friend eric hudson who i haven't heard from in forever so i don't even know if he's still alive but those uh, lo-fi kind of beats that we do sometimes uh, those are all composed by him and then the other tracks the more recent ones we do which are like the i don't know what you want to call them like early 2000s late 90s kind of like emo post-hardcore pop punk whatever stuff that's all from count scotula who writes in on the show often um that's his old band from back in the day corbel which is fantastic those songs are really really spot on and man if you if you want that stuff released that's not my music to go putting out there but uh definitely hit up count scotula maybe dm him or something and say what are you doing make those songs more accessible to us xbots we need to hear them even when we're not listening to xbox on which by the way should be always so yeah please absolutely Go ahead and make that known if you want that music out there. And then next up, we got some games with gold and Jason Schreier hate comments. So Squall Flips Mad Max says, hey, I'm back, you, you stupid bitch. I have another comment. Jason Schreier is such a snitch, and he's very annoying. Also tone deaf. It's his job to take things out of context. It's his job to take things out of context. This was the same dude that was defending MTX microtransactions. Well... Squall, as you know, because we talk about this on the show, I, I'm not a big Jason Schreier fan either, although if I'm being very fair, back in the day I was. I used to be a big fan of Jason Schreier uh, maybe like five or six years ago, so I, I, I got to own that there. But he's, yeah, he's become increasingly a cuckold. He, he's one of those people, he's one of those people where like, you know, America dealt that like cultural shift in like 2016, around the 2016 election, and he's one of those people who, reacted so poorly to the 2016 election and all the kind of social movements of that of the time that like he became like more of like an, a, an evangelist for specific movements and things like that and pushing certain agendas and he just kind of lost what it means to be like an actual fucking human and have an individual identity and and, and that's kind of how I look at Jason Schreier he's like one of those guys he's like a everything with him is like um it's like an activist slant to everything he's doing but it's not like in the name of justice it's in it's like in the name of kind of just being a dick and making game developer game development kind of a little more miserable for everyone <laughs> involved I, I don't know i'm just not i'm not a big jason schreier fan either but i i will say as for his defense of microtransactions i don't know specifically the context you're talking about but i must say because i i i'm a huge proponent of if someone is a shitbag or someone does something shitty, you hold them accountable to it, but you have to take individuals on a case-by-case basis, on a you know a subject-by-subject basis. And so if if I have a million reasons with Jason Schreier that I don't like him, I gotta I gotta be willing to call out the few instances where I do also where I do agree, or maybe coincidentally so, or whatever the case may be, but where I do agree with him because you know you, you're not you, you're not really a person with a full identity in 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 point of view if all you do is hate the team you're supposed to hate and support the team you're supposed to support this is why i'm a huge fan of calling xbox out when they need to be called out and giving playstation props when they need to be given props because 
my Xbox fandom doesn't really mean much if I just think everything they do is awesome. So same thing with Jason Schreier. I'm not sure what the context you're talking about here is, but I also will defend microtransactions to an, to a point, to an extent. For example, I still to this day defend the point that Halo 5 did not have bad microtransactions. They were not invasive. They did not ruin the core mechanics of the game. They had no real, I don't know, they had no real impact on whether or not Halo 5 was a good game, a great game, a bad game, whatever. It was the game Halo 5 ended up being was what it was with or without the microtransactions is what I'm trying to say. And I feel like that's actually the case in most games that have microtransactions where it is very easily a case of you can ignore this if you want or you can let it ruin your day or you can become addicted to this and buy all this shit. It's kind of up to you, the player, to decide how you want to respond to it. Now, I know there have been examples in the past of where microtransactions have completely destroyed games and multiplayer progression or ranking systems and unlock systems have been completely formed around the idea of trying to encourage players to buy things and spend money and things like that. So I understand that isn't always the case, but for the most part, I kind of fall on the side of, do I love microtransactions? No. Do I think the the negative reaction to them is kind of overblown? Yes, because games are really really expensive to make, and so really what you what you're staring at is this is this situation of like, what do you want the publisher to do? Do you want them to put microtransactions in this game, or do you want them to bump up the cost of a video game, or do you want them to budget cut the development process of a game in order to save money? Like, one way or another, these publishers who fund these fucking games are gonna make their money, and they're gonna find a way to make this economically viable for them. And microtransactions have actually been, in my opinion, to an extent, in most cases, a decent enough way for game publishers to be like, here's how we can make the extra money back on this game without having to budget cut the game. I don't know, whatever the case may be. It's just, I, I feel like even though it's not the best solution, it is it is a better solution than what the alternative could be. But I, I'm still not crazy about microtransactions. I'm just saying, I think generally people... T- tend to overreact about them just a tad bit. But yes, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying I prefer for my video games to have microtransactions. I'm just just trying to say you understand at the end of the day, these companies are here to make money and there's a lot, I don't know, there's 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 worse ways they can go about trying to get your money. I just I can't remember the last time I was truly like pissed off because like ah, a game had my here, I'll give you this example. You remember like the 2014 like the early Xbox 1 days where like Every game had to have a season pass. Every fucking game was like, pre-order the game for 60 bucks now, and for $90, you can pre-order the Deluxe Edition that comes with Seasons Pass 1 and 2. Seasons Pass 1 will come with some vague new DLC, and Season Pass 2, uh, the, the content in that is to be determined, but still give us $90 right now and pre-order it anyway, even though you don't know what you're fucking getting. Remember that era of video games about seven years ago? I fucking hated that. I actually hated that more than microtransactions because with microtransactions, I don't feel compelled or tempted to spend additional money up front for something I may or may not want. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want, like, for example, Scarlet Nexus is about to come out and I know they have some deluxe edition or whatever it is, but like, I want to buy Scarlet Nexus for $60 and be done with it. I don't give a shit about an art book or steel case or a CD with music selections or whatever. I don't care about any of that shit. I just want the $60 game. I want to play through the story and be done with that game. That is what I'm hoping for and expecting of Scarlet Nexus when it comes out next month. But if this were like 2014 and a game like Scarlet Nexus came out, I just feel like it would be like, 
oh, well, pre-order Scarlet Nexus for $60 and get the season pass uh, for an additional $20, which will include all new story content, then I'd immediately be pissed because I'd be like, fuck. I'm so invested in the actual game and the story and all that crap that I feel compelled to get the extra story content, to get the DLC, to get the season pass. When in reality, I want my games to be shorter. I want there to be less content, more production, you know, per short. I want games to focus more on a really good compact story and less on just more content for the sake of content and justifying a big price tag. So... To me, that kind of stuff was stressful. I always felt like, ah, oh, fuck, I might need to get this season pass. But if it's microtransactions, if it's just like, oh, you know, the game is what it is for 60 bucks, but you can buy stupid microtransactions to give yourself a pancake face or a fucking Rambo vest to wear and run around the map like, like a Fortnite guy. I, I love that shit because I'm like, there's some idiot out here who wants to spend $15 on that. I don't care about that. I can easily look past that and be like, no, thank you. I'll just play the game. Uh, and, and ignore all those microtransactions. So I guess I guess what I'm really saying here is selfishly, the way microtransactions tend to play out works for me because I'm not enticed by that stuff 99% of the time anyway. So it's just easy for me to be like, out of sight, out of mind, I don't give a shit. But anyway, that's uh, my little incoherent rant on that. Uh, speaking of hating on things, which makes no sense, my brother says, I think you are the only person on this earth that that's like, oh, free stuff? No, thank you. Referring, of course, to Games with Gold. And that's because I'm always complaining about how the Games with Gold offering each each month are pretty weak, which I stand by. But my brother is always of the mindset, hey, free games are free games. Don't bitch. You take what you get. I, I, I don't know. I disagree. I, I pretty much think... You know, those games of gold could just be thrown in a Game Pass and, and you can focus more on other benefits and features and services that Xbox offers and less on games of gold because, again, games of gold gives you, like, maybe three good games a year or something. I don't fucking know. It's almost always total garbage. So I'm not saying they need to get rid of games of gold immediately. This is a pressing issue. I'm just saying I could do with or without it. I just, I just don't care about games of gold. So maybe I'm just being a selfish bitch, but oh well. Now, I was going to let this go, but a couple of you commented in, so we have to we have to drudge this uh, this topic back up. So we'll move through it quick, but a couple of you have something to say about mini M&Ms. Wes H. writes in and says, Peanut M&Ms are greater than mini M&Ms, which are greater than all other M&Ms. Also, someone said, don't be shy the other day, and I verbally said, reply, what have you done? Wes, I love that that happened to you, and I hope it happens to many of you because I want this pod. I this uh, this podcast is like uh, you guys ever seen um, Ant Man and the Winter Soldier, where like the where the where the Winter Soldier guy is like locked in captivity from like the years nineteen forty seven until like two thousand twelve somehow, and like the guy like reads a rush uh, reads a German book to him like a bunch of times in a row, and then it makes him want to kill people. So I want Xbox on to be like that, and I want to just like keep saying shit until it subliminally, subliminally is like so embedded in your fucking brain that anytime someone's like, oh man, uh, I, I'll take a, oh man, I'll take a Supreme taco. You'll just be like, you'll just be like, oh, next let me tell you about what I've been playing. But first I gotta tell you about what I've been eating. And I'll just like little, little things that trigger you. Like every time you hear someone say, um, oh man, the power went out. You'll just be like, power your dreams. Just, I, I'm, I'm slowly working in ways to subliminally like embed my little catchphrases, my my idiosyncrasies and all these things into into your psyches so that you aren't yourself 
despite what you may think. You are instead my little army of winter solstices. But yeah, man, I, I disagree with you wholeheartedly, Wes. Peanut M&M's, I don't get the love for peanut M&M's. There are so many people who love the peanut M&M's. I don't hate them, but I'd never go out of my way to buy them. Peanut M&M's are the M&M flavor where it's like, oh, you bought peanut M&M's? Okay, I'll eat them. But it's also the flavor where like every single time I go to purchase M&M's, I'm going regular, I'm going Krispies, I'm going minis, but I'm never touching the peanut M&M's. It's, I just don't get the appeal, man. I don't get it. Mojo says they have mini M&M's and regular size M&M's, but not extra large M&M's. What gives? They should make extra large size versions like the size of a hockey puck. I had butterscotch flavor, mucho gross, and white chocolate flavor M&M's, which were decent, though nothing beats old-fashioned, regular-style M&M's in a nice, cold, code red. Mojo, I want... Thank you for writing in. First of all, very prov- provocative idea there, the hockey puck size M&M. I'm all for it. If you get to work on sketching it up, I will I will pass that along to my people. You know I know some people, and we'll try to get that onto a Taco Bell menu very soon. But I didn't, and, for, and I'll, I've never heard of this butterscotch flavored M&M. I don't know if that's some kind of European thing or, or what's going on here, but that sounds like a bad idea. Um, I must say, though, as much as I want to agree with your final statement here, nothing beats an old-fashioned M&M. Two things. One thing does beat an old-fashioned M&M, and it's a crispy M&M. Crispy M&Ms are the best M&Ms, period. Not the pretzel ones. The pretzel ones are fine, but the crispy M&Ms, the ones they used to sell back in like 2001, 2002, and then they brought it back a few years ago. I, it used to be in a blue bag back in the day, but nowadays the pretzel ones are in the blue bag, the minis are in the light blue bag, and the crispies are in the green bag. I know this because I don't get dates. I know this because I've never been with a woman before. So this is this this is an important thing to know. The crispy M&Ms are indeed the best M&M. It is the, it is the superior M&M. Case closed. And as much as I do love Mountain Dew Code Red, I I, I, I can't get with you on this, Mojo. Pairing a, a sweet, over, over-the-top sweet, chocolatey M&M with a sugary, syrupy, sweet Mountain Dew is overkill. I've never, I never understood the whole like pairing sweet with sweet thing. I can't handle that. You know, people who get like, like I've seen, I, I used to be a server for many years. I would see people like who, who would order a Coke and then eat Coke with their appetizer and their entree and everything. And then like dessert comes around, they get like a chocolate brownie. And I'm like, would you like me to get you a cup of water or something? They're like, no, but I'll take another Coke. I'm like, motherfucker, you're going to drink a Coke with your chocolate brownie Supreme Sunday? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, how badly do you want... It's not even about the diabetes, actually. It's just about the overwhelm... Like, you know, like, when you eat a lot of chocolate and then, like, there's nothing more satisfying than, like, a water or a glass of milk because it's just so complimentary or or refreshing to that, that overly sweet and dense and chocolatey thing you just had? Like, I don't understand how people wash down the sweet with the sweet it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me that's like that's like like going to uh that's like if you went to like a party and they had like cheese platters and instead of like a glass of wine to go with your cheese they're like oh yeah we drink a, a, a glass of of whole milk with all the cheese so like you try a little bit of this uh aged brie a little bit of this 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 cheddar the, the the whatever this is you know some fancy cheeses some blue cheese and mm, that's really nice let me take a sip of this uh um this walmart uh two percent cold milk that expires in in like tomorrow uh gulp 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 mm, ready for more cheese like it's just to me it just seems like overkill i don't i don't get that but mojo you could be a serial killer. I don't know. Lethal Migraine has our last Eminem comment and says, Eminem's gen- surprise guys. Eminem's generally aren't good. The peanut butter ones and the Nutella ones are the only acceptable flavors. The rest are gross. Lethal Migraine, 
I've had the Nutella ones. My girlfriend likes them. Fuck you. They're gross. M&M's went to shit when they got rid of the tan ones and brought in the disgusting red M&M's and even worse, the blue ones. Okay, lethal migraine. If we're going to start arguing about the colors of M&M's, you know damn well they don't have flavors. You know damn well whether the M&M is uh, the, the yellow one, the brown one, the red one, the blue one, the green one. Who, who gives a shit? They all taste the same. That being said, of course, the red and blue ones are the best, but let's let's not get into that kind of shit, okay? And then we're going to round out the comments now with a with a couple quick ones. I, I was talking, we were talking about hobby games. Someone commented in the other week talking about hobbies outside of, of video games and things like that. And a couple of you want to comment in on that. I thought that'd be fun because I enjoy uh, getting to know you hardcore uh, ex-gamers um, outside of just Xbox because hopefully there's more to you than just tweeting all day about how Xbox is awesome and PlayStation. Guys, I got to be honest with you. When when this show started picking up whatever you call this this audience, when it, when people started actually like listening in on this, I was like, you know, I should probably surround myself with more Xbox people just to see what's kind of going on in the community to some extent. I followed a bunch of people like quote unquote notable Xbox personality people on Twitter. Holy fuck, I need to get out of there. Like I thought the theme park Twitter community was toxic, and it is. It's the worst. But oh my god, these Xbox fanboy Twitter people are so goddamn. How many dude? Like there. Sometimes I'm on Twitter, and I just see like the same fucking like guy who loves Xbox, who has like six thousand followers, who just tweets about Xbox fanboy shit all day. And I'm like, how many goddamn times can you tweet about how great Game Pass is, or how many awesome exclusives Xbox is going to have in two years from now? And how much better Xbox is than PlayStation 5. How many times a day can you tweet that bullshit before people are just like, dude, you clearly don't even play Xbox because you have a full-time fucking job just stalking Twitter, picking on PlayStation fans, and bragging about Xbox. Clearly you don't play Xbox. You just sit on your goddamn fucking iPhone XS and just bully fucking people about a video game console. Guy, I, I don't know where this is coming from, but like, goddamn, dude. Like, I know Twitter's just the worst thing no matter what. You can fu- you can be into anything. You can be into gardening you can be into cars, you can be into politics, you can be into fucking, like, woodworking. I don't give a shit what your hobby is. Whatever you follow on Twitter is toxic and it's bullshit, and we're all addicted to it. But, God, dude, I I want to I wanna sell my Xbox and exclusively play Ouya sometimes because the Xbox community on Twitter is just so goddamn mind-numbingly fucking stupid. But that out of the way, Joe Murphy wants to tell us a little bit about his hobbies. Joe Murphy says, hobbies... I'm bad at that since I got the Xbox Series X. <laughs> Sorry. I'm bad at that since I got the Xbox Series X. I <laughs> I bought three external hard drives, Xbox new headset, plus four other controllers, lots of games that I bought. Plus, ever since I got the Xbox, I've been buying and collecting Funko Pops. I waste money, I know, but I'm happy and I have the money. Joe, this, is, this brings up an important thing I, I want to say real quick. Listen, man. You enjoy whatever you enjoy to the fullest extent, and you don't have to justify it to anyone but yourself and maybe your financially dependents, if you have children or a spouse, uh, perhaps. But, but, but here's the thing, man. If if you're in a mood right now where like you're just so high on Xbox because you got a Series X and you're you're loving it and you're loving your games and you want to buy the new headset because it's cool and flashy and it's fun and you want to get the new controllers because there's all these new color variants coming out and they're awesome looking and you want to collect Funko Pops because you like to style them around your your gaming center whatever the case may be 
dude, just in, indulge. That's going to be my my recommendation. It's, it is it is really fun, and and you know the cynical person can can complain about the blind consumerism and all the bu- 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 bullshit. It's really fun when you're in a good mood about something you love to just kind of really indulge in it and make the most of it. So. I know what you're talking about, and I'm and and I'm really happy for you that because I know you only recently got into Xbox, so or sorry, because I I know this is more of a recent endeavor for you, so it makes me very happy for you to just see you kind of being like going all in and having fun. I know that kind of honeymoon phase when something is fresh and new, and you just kind of want to jump all all in, you know, hands all in, head first, whatever, um, into something is a, is a really fun time. So that that's cool. That's if. If you have the means to do so, and it and it makes you happy, and you're having fun doing it, more power to you, Joe. I think that's awesome. Now, Arctic Chief says, every time a new Halo comes out, I play it for what it is and enjoy it. Love playing the campaigns on Legendary Solo as the first run through before ever jumping into online multiplayer hobbies slash what I okay. Let me stop there before you continue on with your hobbies. I gotta say, jumping in Legendary Solo first—that's pretty intense, man. I'll, I'll be honest. Now, Bungie famously said a long time ago, the intended difficulty for Halo games is is sorry is heroic. So th- they they said when they design a Halo game, the intended difficulty or the ideal difficulty they have in mind is heroic difficulty. That being said, anytime I play a new Halo game, my thing is always I do a I'm not very good at video games, but I do a uh, I do a solo run through on on normal mode just so I can enjoy the fun gameplay, but really focus on the level design and the storytelling. And then once I go through that, I do a bunch of multiplayer and then I go back to campaign and then I do solo legendary because there's always those solo legendary achievements. And that's when I go really slow and like really meticulously focus on, you know, the kind of level design and and reacclimate myself with the story and kind of you see you see stories or you see games from a very different perspective. I've noticed just because the games I'm most likely inclined to replay are like always platformers or FPS games, and especially FPS games, there's always difficulty modes. So I, I notice this a lot with like the Halos and the Call of Duties that you you experience the game so differently when you run through it on normal mode versus like slowly drudge through it on 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 the hardest difficulty. So honestly, it, it can be pretty frustrating. So more power to you that that you solo legendary first things first. But that's I don't know. I just wanted to say something about that for some reason because. That I, I found that to be crazy. But you say, as for hobbies and what you spend your money on, you said, I've been collecting all the released Amiibo, God bless you. Uh, favorite character, Funko Pops, and obviously gaming. I spent too much money on Xbox. The OG, the Elite 360, the 360 Slim, Xbox One Day One, Halo 5, Xbox One, Xbox One X, and Series X. I've never bought a headset aside from the ones that Xbox provides with the console until this new wireless headset came out. Controllers are different. I got the Master Chief Collection, or I got the Master Chief Controller and the two Hyper... Hyperkin Duke controllers for Xbox One and bought my wife a customized controller before they ended that last October. So that's pretty cool, man. You've you've owned a lot of Xboxes, first of all. It's very very hardcore thing of you to do. I gotta be honest, if there's one like fanboy insecurity I have about my Xbox fandom, it's always been that I skipped the Xbox One X. I just held on to my Xbox One. And it was like, I know the next gen will be in like three years, so I'm just going to hold on. And even though like we're removed from the One the X and we're into the Series X now, I still kind of have a little bit of regret that I didn't jump in with the Xbox One X back in 2017 when it came out. So that is a weird example of like something where like you would think that kind of discipline and patience would pay off in the end. But 
because I'm a weird fanboy who wants to have had the experience of of owning and u- having used this the One X back in its time and also just have that into my my unnecessary game collection. I actually kind of have a bit of remorse and regret or a, a bit of regret for not having done it. That's a weird thing, but dude, that's a that's an impressive lineup of Xboxes you have collected there. And also to your thing about Amiibo, what the fuck? You're still collecting Amiibo, man? That is insanely impressive. And also you must be a millionaire because Man, I, I tried to, when Amiibo first came out, I was like, I'm going to collect every Amiibo in the Smash Brothers lineup, not knowing, you know, that there would be endless Smash Brothers DLC of various anime girls from various anime sword games for the rest of eternity. So, you know, I, I didn't know back then that that was an impossible task, but like, man, I probably collected, you know, in the Wii U days, I don't know, I'd say all but like four of the Smash Brothers Amiibos. And then I got a couple of the Splatoon ones and stuff, but like, it real quick, like Amiibo collecting was so fun at first, like for a couple months, but then it really quickly became this thing of like, yo, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not dealing with this shit. This constant, like websites crashing, jumping to stores, trying to find this stupid fucking animal crossing kid with the net. Like this is, this is beyond what I have the patience for. So the fact that you're still Amiibo hunting after all this time, that is some, I, I actually always forget that they still do Amiibo because I'm so out of touch with what Nintendo does nowadays. And I feel like, you know, in the in the Wii U generation, it was a big thing, but like I feel like in the Switch generation, Amiibo are such an afterthought. Like Nintendo knows they have no real use case in any of these fucking games. They just release them because people like to collect them and they're cool statues, and they absolutely are. I mean, they look great, but like I just love how it's like they're still doing Amiibo, but no one gives a shit about them for their functional purpose in games. I don't even know if they have purposes like functional uses on video games anymore. To be honest, with you. I feel like ever since Disney Infinity and all those games kind of fell out. Nintendo's just been like, oh, yeah, well, we can still make money off Amiibo. We just don't got to give a shit about what it does in the game. But anyway, uh, our, our last two comments here. Um, my brother wants to say something real quick about Resident Evil Village. He says, because you won't talk about it, I will. Resident Evil Village is really good. Scary, fun, action-y. But the thing we're talking about is actually the sound design. It's the only thing in the game I've played this gener... It's the only thing I've in a game I've played this generation that actually feels next-gen. Also, Hood Outlaws and Legends should have been on Game Pass, blah, 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 blah. Don't want to talk about that, you fucking nerd. Now, actually, Resident Evil Village, first of all, Corey Long said something about it last week. So, we have brought it up. I mentioned that it was out. And I'm not not bringing up Resident Evil Village because I don't care about it. I actually really want to play Resident Evil Village. I'm trying to go back and finish Resident Evil 7, but we'll get into that in a little bit, how I've been having trouble with games lately. But yeah, I mean, I actually, I saw, I saw some footage and some screenshots of kind of some of the later stuff in Resident Evil Village and all the like cathedrals and like the European Gothic, like snowy settings and shit that the game has. And that actually made me want to play the game so bad because some of the, some of the settings, some of the environments of this Resident Evil Village game look incredible. And I really, really feel like I'm missing out. But at the same time, I'm trying to hold that patience. There's so many games on the horizon that I want to play and so little time to play games. And I'm trying to study for this bullshit, but I don't have, you know, time for anything. So I'm trying to be smart about it and, and just wait until I have more time until the game's on sale. And then I will get around to Resident Evil Village. But for now, it just doesn't make sense. It's not a wise move for me to get into it. So I care about it. I want to care about it. I want to play. I wish I were playing it and talking about it to you guys right now, but can't. Got to be a disciplined, grown adult. Okay, 
And finally, Tadi Vasilev writes in again, who I've just butchered his name two weeks in a row, and says, after <laughs> after you destroyed my name last week, I will give you a chance to rename me however you like. Well, I would prefer if you just told me how to pronounce your name properly, because I want to show you proper respect and call you by your name and not just butcher the pronunciation every week. But in the meantime, I will I will name you. I will give you a temporary name. Here we are. Your profile pic is a picture of presumably you wearing glasses next to a dog, which I assume is yours. I can't tell by the picture. It's a small picture. I don't know if that's a boxer or a pit bull or whatever, but that's your dog, I assume. Hopefully it's not a stranger's dog. And I will call you Dog Man. Dog Glasses. You're a man with glasses, and that's a dog. So I will call you Dog Glasses until then. Okay? Okay, Dog Glasses. Now your comment continues on. Anyway, thanks for answering my question. I was excited. Or sorry, I was about to say that Game Pass is very profitable, but my telephone exploded in my hands, blah, blah, blah. Don't even know what that means. We're going to jump over that because... We're not talking about that Game Pass shit no more. But you you do say this. Did you notice how certain games get m- multiple big discounts and a few days later make it into the library of Game Pass games? For example, FIFA, NBA, GTA, 2K21. Well, you're mostly just naming 2K games at that point. But uh, anyway, you say, give us your predictions on the next games that will make the cut. Mine is Mortal Kombat 11 because it got two 50% off uh, discounts in the span of a month. Now, this is a really interesting observation that I've actually never noticed. So it's hard for me to give you my prediction when I've, I've never even noticed this trend before. But that is an interesting point how sometimes... Because you you know what did happen is last year at the beginning of the pandemic when I played Grand Theft or not Grand Theft Auto when I played Red Dead Redemption two, I was constantly waiting for it to be on a good sale and and one day it was finally like on sale for like thirty bucks so I was like fuck it I'll cave in I'll buy thirty bucks that's it we're doing it I'm playing Red Dead Redemption two and I downloaded it and I played it in like a oh, I played I beat that game in like a week it was so good still one of my most like favorite recent gaming memories but I remember like a month after that the game went in Red Dead Redemption 2 went into Game Pass for the first time. And so it's funny you mention that because I remember that feeling of like, oh, fuck, I just bought this game. It was almost on Game Pass. I didn't even have to spend money. But so it's funny you mention that because I do have a personal experience of something like that happening. But although I've never noticed really the trend. So now that now that you have mentioned this, I am curious to kind of pay better attention and see if I notice these trends and see what games it happens with. It seems like it's a lot of like 2K type games. I wouldn't be surprised if we see this stuff happen a lot with like Ubisoft games or EA games, although we don't really see a lot of Ubisoft support in Game Pass actually. So I would say EA, but those games go into EA Play. So it's interesting. I think maybe if not, you know, more of those 2K type games, I would say you might see a lot of that from those kind of like THQ Nordic style games like your Destroy All Humans and things like that, which just recently hit Game Pass. So you might see that happen with games like like that. But yeah, man, I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe you'll see that happen with Saints Row uh, based on some news we got going on this week. But I, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to guess because I've, I've really never noticed this trend until just now that you mentioned it. So with that said, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on that, but I do appreciate that interesting observation. But with that one done, I, I'd say that's all. That's it for all of our comments and whatnot this week. So remember for next week, don't be shy, reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you that, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. Guys, I made a steak this week, and it wasn't even bad. So I've been, I've been trying, my girlfriend and I have been talking about it for a while. We're going to try to make a steak. We're going to do this thing. We're going to go to the Sam's Club, you know, the club that you can catch me at the most, get some steak, try out their meats and see what happens. And I'm just, I've never been very confident in my ability to make a steak at home, but fuck it, this week I did it. And guys, 
It was awesome. I I watched a two-minute video on YouTube from one Mr. GR, uh, who did a how-to steak video, and... And, dude, it's basic as shit. He's just like, yo, he's like, in his British accent, he's like, uh, make the heat really hot, and then put some olive oil in there, and then season those steaks with salt and pepper, make sure they're pretty, like, room temp or thawed out or whatever, not too cold, and then slap those bitches in there, one minute, turn it over, uh, throw some butter in there, throw some fresh garlic in there. He, dude, dude literally fucking grabs a, 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 a thing, a stalk or whatever of garlic and smashes it, like, Hulk style with his fucking hand and throws it in the pan. And then he just takes a spoon and starts basting the steak for another minute with the butter, basting it, flip, you know, a couple minutes here and there, gets it to that perfect medium rare temperature. And I was like, oh, well, this is one of those classic GR moves. You know, he's going to make the perfect steak. It's going to make it look easy. I'm going to try. I'm going to burn it. It's going to taste like shit. But no, man, I followed his directions exactly as he did in the video. And yes, my steak didn't look quite as pretty as his, but man, it was... It was cooked a little more than I like. I, I'm more of a medium rare guy. It came out somewhere closer to medium, but honestly, I was expecting it to be awful and taste like shit. But man, I I got the seasoning just right. I'm a very I, I like the buttery peppery kind of combination. And dude, it was a good steak. My girlfriend made some mashed potatoes. We sautéed some asparagus. It was it was it was dank, as the kids might say, you guys. So. I just wanted to brag for a minute that I made steak, and I don't know who to thank. I don't know if this is because Sam's Club, you know, shout out to my manager who told me to get your steak from Sam's Club. They got some good shit. He was right. I went to the club. I bought the steaks there. They were good steak. They were good steaks. Uh, I don't know if that's the if that's who to thank. I don't know if it's maybe GR over on YouTube.com, whose video helped guide me through these uh, un- murky, uncertain waters of steak making, uh, or maybe if I'm just secretly a master chef and I didn't even know that about myself. But man, these turned out great. But uh, yeah, that's I mean that's it for what I've been for what I've been eating this week. Now as for what I've been playing, guys, I'm actually losing my fucking shit. I'm go I'm going crazy this week with video games. So. I'm sure I haven't been playing games really at all lately, as you know, because I'm always like, well, I'm studying, so I don't have time. But I, I honestly tried to make some time for gaming this week. So earlier, like Sunday, I had this itch to bust out Disney Infinity and play and play some old school Disney Infinity. So I got home that day and I played Disney Infinity for a little bit. I was like, this is really fun, but I'm already kind of tired. It's late. I'm going to pick this up tomorrow. And then the next day I was like, I'm actually not in the mood for Disney Infinity. I want to play Toy Story 3, the video game on Xbox 360 because it was on Games with Gold like two years ago and I never played it. I just downloaded it. And then I did that that night. And I was like, this is this is fun. And then it was like 45 minutes went by and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting tired. It's actually pretty late. So the next day I was like, I'm going to get back to Toy Story or Disney Infinity and play that shit. Although I really need to finish Outriders. But then I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about Resident Evil 8. And I was like, Damn, Resident Evil 8 sounds so good. I need to just go home and finish Resident Evil 7. And I was like, okay, that's what I'll do. I'll go home and I'll finish Resident Evil 7. And then I went home and I just like, I made dinner. I did the dishes. I did some studying. I was like, okay, now I have time to play Resident Evil 7. I turned on my Xbox and then I just like laid on the couch and fell asleep. <laughs> so I'm ha- I'm going nuts between this combination of like not having time, not having energy and then when I do have the time and energy, just constantly switching gears on like what game I'm in the mood to play. And it's kind of breaking, it's really screwing me up. I really want to just knock out Resident Evil 7 because I started the game forever ago and I, there's only like three hours left in the game. It's a quick one. And then and then Outriders, which is a game I really love, I just can't get around to fucking playing and investing in. So 
I, I just really want to knock these things out before, you know, Scarlet Nexus starts coming out. And I, I want to clear up my gaming schedule enough to at some point where I can get back to Yakuza. And then, you know, pretty soon before you know, it, it's going to be the fall rush. And we're going to have, you know, Halo, of course, and Back for Blood, which are going to be massive time sinks for me. So I'm in a tough spot right now where I just can't find the time for video games. I can't find the energy. And then when I do find a little window of opportunity, it just quickly I switch gears and want to play this or that. And it's, it's quite frustrating right now. So... Please, if you uh, if you are a believer of any kind of deity out there, I do I do uh, request that you get on your knees and pray for me because these are certainly some trying times for for me as as fellow gamers. I'm sure you can relate and understand. Uh, but with that said, guys, that's gonna do it for all of our our segments that aren't the news. So with with that with that out of the way, I think we should jump into the news proper. All right, let's get back into the news. Lately, I've been taking these little five minute breaks in between. The first half of the show and the second half of the show where I'll just uh, stop recording for a minute, play with my cat for five minutes, and a nice little way to relax before I jump back into the hour straight of talking. But cat has been pet. Now news must be read. Our first story comes from Windows Central and says that it seems that Starfield could be targeting a Q1 2022 release date, echoing similar rumors from across the net that the upcoming sci-fi RPG is closer than we might have otherwise expected. The details come from an exchange between Jeff Grubb and, and Blessing Jr., with uh, Grubb confirming in a tweet pr- prior speculation on the kind of funny games cast that the game was targeting a Q1 2022 launch window. There were some previous rumors earlier in the year that the game was targeting a holiday 2021 launch window. It's not outside the realm of possibility that the date just got bumped slightly given the ongoing pandemic, but additionally, Windows Central's Jez Corden reports that Starfield is indeed going to be an Xbox and PC exclusive when it does come out. According to some additional tweets from Jeff Grubb, who seemingly wholly, who seems wholly confident that due to some of his uh, sources, the game has been confirmed to be Bethesda's first Xbox exclusive title since the acquisition of Bethesda that took place last fall. So this one's weird because the individuals that's coming from now, I know Jeff Grubb in particular has a little bit more of like a, a history of being like a reliable source to an extent or whatever, but I'm not trying to say anyone involved here is unreliable by any stretch of the imagination. It's just weird, especially because I, I used to be a pretty avid follower of the kind of funny guys back in their old days. And so I'm not trying to speak ill to anyone here. It's just weird that I'm not used to like big news coming from sources like this. So to me, I'm just like, why? I, I, I don't know. This is part of that weird echelon of like, Things being confirmed by like game media influencer dudes, like on podcasts and on Twitter and stuff. It's like that's that's weird. I don't I don't know. It's like I always feel like I gotta take that with a grain of salt. But at the same time, the these kinds of people, especially like this ilk, like the kind of funny guys, are so like in bed with so many of these like publishers and developers and stuff that I mean they probably do know this information. So for them to to be knowing this information either means one it's accurate or two they're doing that that thing where they know. So they're kind of like diverting the truth by you know saying one thing when they know the answer is something else just to kind of you know move the perception around so that they don't give away information they know i don't know but i I don't know i'm fairly confident that there is a lot of truth to this rumor whether the game whether starfield actually is coming out in q1 2022 is to be seen but i i I do believe that the people reporting on this have on good authority that these that these this this date is real and that this uh potential you know, exclusivity and all that is, is pretty legit from what they're hearing. So I'll say this releasing Starfield 
because I've been seeing this rumor a lot in recent weeks, and up until recently, like very recently, the rumor was the game's coming out this fall, that we'll see a massive reveal for it this summer at E3, and then it will be out this fall. Now, I don't see that as being possible at all, and that's for one reason, and it's an obvious reason, and it's called Halo. It would be really fucking stupid for Microsoft to be like, yeah, we're going to do a massive one-two punch of uh, uh, Starfield and, and Halo back-to-back this fall. It's like, no, 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 no man. You got a game like Halo that has so much riding on its shoulders that matters so much to the Xbox legacy. This year is all about the 20th anniversary of Xbox, the 20th anniversary of, of Halo. They're going back to their roots. Xbox is all about being innovative and, and a spearheader in the industry with things like Game Pass or back in the day with Xbox Live. And Series X is all about being a powerful console with Halo at the helm. In a lot of ways, the early trajectory of the Xbox Series X is intentionally supposed to echo and kind of mirror in ways the original Xbox's release. So I think Xbox very much wants this fall to be all eyes locked on Chief. I don't think there's any interest, even if they had Fable from Playground Games, Starfield, a new Fallout game, a new Wolfenstein game, the next game from Rare, and six Forza games all ready to go in the pipeline this November, October season, ready to go right now. I don't think they would, even in that case, release these games because, again, you don't want to take the attention off the real star of the show, the your real reason to get people riled up about Xbox, and it's Halo. They, You really want, you know, let's assume Xbox is very confident in Halo Infinite, which they should be, and let's assume Halo Infinite is at the very least going to be a very well-polished, very well-put-together, fun, enjoyable game. Let's just assume all those things are true, right? Because, you know, by this point in development, or we're getting pretty close to the point where, like, you know, we the public haven't played Halo, but internally, people at Microsoft know whether or not this is going to be a good game. It is far enough along in development that they know with this if this game is panning out and if it's working or not at this point. So let's just assume that internally everything's firing on all cylinders and we're on track for a great Halo Infinite launch, right? You don't want to distract from that even in the least bit. And having something like, it'd be one thing if they're like, yeah, we got a new Forza game coming out this fall along with Halo Infinite. It's like, okay. In fact, I could still see, like, it, it, let's say the rumors are right and there is a Forza Horizon 5 coming out this year. It's like, yeah. Uh, that wouldn't be entirely impossible or impossible thing, you know, like that might happen. I could see that, but something like Starfield eats so much into the spotlight of Halo because Halo is supposed to be one of your tentpole designed for everyone, especially your hardcore gamers. Like Halo was going to grab the attention, grab the game press, grab the YouTube conversations, the podcast topics, the game of the year nomination kind of things. That's the point of Halo is it's supposed to be at the very center of the conversation surrounding video games in the year 2021. So you want all eyes on that. A game like Starfield is a very similar game. Not in terms of genre or gameplay, but in terms of what it's meant to do, which is be a massive game that sells big numbers to all players, but is also super massive in the hardcore community, gets Game of the Year awards, gets nominations, gets tons of games press coverage and YouTube coverage and has massive, uh, you know, a massive player base that extends far beyond the initial launch of the game. Both of these games are that kind of game in those in that respect, right? And so launching them on top of each other, I mean, simply put, it would be like Sony being like, oh yeah, we're, we're launching the next God of War and the next Uncharted game within two weeks of each other because we're stupid. Like that's, it's kind of the same thing as that. So to ever think that this game was going to come out this fall makes no sense to me unless 
it was like a long time ago. The idea was Halo Infinite would be ready for fall 2020 and Starfield would be ready for fall 2021. If that was the original plan, it's like, okay, that makes sense. You know, Halo one fall, Starfield the next. But you don't want to put these out back to back like that. Now, if you do put Starfield out in like February, March, like, oh, especially that, that that February to March, dude, if they put, if they could put Starfield out in like early to mid March, that would be massive. That would be so good for them. If they were like, here's Halo Infinite in mid November. And then in like early to mid March, here's Starfield. That's just, that is the perfect amount of time to be like, here's a massive game that everyone on this platform is going to give a shit about. And you have like four months of it being the star of the show. And then four months later, once the attention starts to wane a little bit on this game, Boom, another game of the same fucking caliber. Because remember, Starfield has a lot going for it. And not only that, you know, Bethesda's big exclusive game for Xbox or whatever, but also that it's Bethesda's first time doing a new IP in a long time. Think about their their two big IPs. It's it's Fallout and Elder Scrolls. Those games are fucking massive. So the fact that they're doing a Elder Scrolls Fallout type game, but now set in outer space, is going to give this game so much so much hype, so much expectation, and you want to give a game like that all the spotlight and all the room to breathe, and a game like that has the potential to get in the way to an extent of a game like Halo Infinite, so you want to space those games out, so I think that's the first thing. Now, the thing about it being exclusive, I have a hard time like finding this to be news because, I don't know, this is kind of in line with what I've always been saying, you know, I, I was the one arguing that I don't think all Bethesda games are going to be exclusive to Xbox, blah, 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 but I could very well see the games that are not pre-established on other platforms being exclusive, for example, I find it hard to believe the next Elder Scrolls won't be on PlayStation, because Elder Scrolls has been on PlayStation before, and it would be considered a big dick move to not have the next Elder Scrolls on PlayStation. That's what I used to say. Now I'm a little more like, I don't know, it could be exclusive, could not be. But Starfield is the game I've always used as the prime example to say, I could see a game like Starfield being fully exclusive to Xbox and PC, because Starfield is a brand new IP that has never been on PlayStation or anything because it's never been done before, so there's no precedent sent. No one will be like, oh, fuck you, Starfield was it was always a PlayStation game and now you're taking it away from us. No one will say that about a new IP that's never been released before. So that is the perfect excuse to make a big AAA Bethesda game exclusive for Xbox. So... The fact that the the all but confirmed rumor is that Starfield will be exclusive to Xbox to me almost doesn't even strike me as news. I think that's kind of a given, especially considering Phil Spencer's comments and everything on like, oh, make no mistake, we want this to be about getting great games for Xbox. We want exclusives for Xbox, blah, 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 blah. Starfield on Xbox, not on PlayStation 5. Sure, I, I pretty much expect that. Of course, it will also be on PC, so you'll be able to get it from you know, the Windows Store and from Steam or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Q1 2022, a part of me is like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That'd be cool. But another part of me is like, okay, let's let's think about the two parties involved here. This is Bethesda, who's like famously like takes forever to put out a fucking game. But, you know, they've had about six, six plus years now because their last game they put out was Fallout 4, which was fall 2015. So it's fall 2021. It comes out spring 2022. It's over six years to make a new game. It's possible they're ready to go with Starfield. But again, it's a new IP, so there's a lot more to build than just a sequel. So I don't know. Because Fallout 76 was done from a different team, even though Bethesda doesn't really acknowledge it. So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, Bethesda's been working on Starfield this whole time. So, 
the fact that you know six plus years is the game ready to go, I I could buy that. But again, with the world of COVID and with knowing how long Bethesda normally takes to develop games, I wouldn't be surprised if Starfield was a seven year development cycle. This is all contingent on E3. I think if if they show the game in depth at E3, there's a high chance these rumors are right. If they teaser trailer the game at E3 and they don't show us extensive gameplay and really let us know what this game is all about, I I think it's a fall 2022 game i don't know so i I, that part of the rumor i i'm i'm like a soft yeah i believe it but again this is you know this is all contingent on what what covid has done to the development of this game the other part of that being um think about the other big player involved in this game now with microsoft owning bethesda microsoft is famously bad at managing their studios and getting games on a decent amount of time. The fact that we went from 2015 to 2021 to get the next Halo entry, knowing full well 343 hasn't made anything between now and then. It's just like, what the fuck? Why did we wait? Why did we wait six years for the next Halo game? You know, you look at like this, this fable playground games rumor. That's been a rumor since like fucking, uh, FDR was in office and like we just now got it announced last year. They didn't even have gameplay to show. It's like, wow, that game is not far along in development. Like Forza wasn't ready like that. Like we, we, we just know that Xbox, you know, as much as we love Xbox, Xbox game studios has not been exemplary in terms of their, you know, they're, they're just production timeframes and their ability to get this like cadence and flow of game. And this is what I talk about all the time with Xbox. It's like, this is the thing they need to show next. They, they've nailed it with the hardware. They nailed it with the fanfare, with the features, with the legacy content, with everything about Xbox Series X. They fucking nailed it. They're doing so great. The only thing they need to do now is figure out the games. They have the studios. They have the talent. Can they get the cadence right? Can we get the Halo? Don't wait too long. Here's the next Gears. Don't wait too long. Here's the next Forza. Don't wait too long. Here's Fable. Don't wait too fucking long. Here's something from Bethesda. Here's Rare. Like, we need that steady roll of, like, every three to five months, we're getting something pretty decent. You know, like, every year, there should be, like, three to four decent to big size Xbox games with the amount of studios that Xbox owns now. I know that sounds like a big expectation, but keep in mind, Xbox owns so many studios. Remember Compulsion Games? Yeah, I bet you fucking forgot about their pathetic existence. That's how many studios Microsoft owns now. It's how many Xbox game studios exist that most people probably don't even think about Compulsion Games when they think about all the teams working on new Xbox games. We're getting a new uh, State of Decay, State of Decay 3. Like Anybody remember that? Yeah, we fucking forgot about that. Oh yeah, Hellblade 2 was announced with the Series X. We haven't heard about that in forever. Oh yeah, Rare's working on a new game that's pretty early in development apparently. They don't even know too much about what that game really is yet and then you know you got fucking obsidians working on their own elder scrolls s game now with avowed it's like oh i forgot about that because we're so excited about bethesda it's like xbox has a lot of fucking studios and we know next year or later this year or whatever we're getting psychonauts too who fucking knows like there's just so many studios so many games in the works now xbox has got to prove that they can make this work by having this steady flow of like, okay, now I got this, now I got this. And it almost makes me wonder if Xbox's solution was like, hey, we know we're bad at like getting all of our teams lined up with these perfect release cadences so we always have a new game or two every year. I wonder if they've realized that they're so not great at that, like the way like PlayStation is, for example, that they've gone like, well, fuck it, we'll use money as our workaround for this. So we'll just have so many studios that regardless of how these studios are managed, they will just always be a flow of games coming out just by sheer 
number of developers that we own. And, and I know that's not obviously the real intention because that would just be a gross mismanage of studios and funds. Um, it, it makes you wonder to an extent. It's like, is that what they're fucking doing here? Because again, things look great on Team Xbox, but like they don't have that that flow going with this with this release uh, of of first party content. And I, I think a really bad thing for them to do would be to kind of cannibalize their big tentpole games by being, yeah, we know we haven't had something real big in a while. So here's Halo and Starfield on top of each other. Like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. So I'm inclined to believe these rumors, but I think to really solidify them, it's all contingent on what happens next month at E3. If Starfield comes out with like a Fallout 4 type reveal where they're just like, here's the trailer, here's the gameplay, here's the release date, boom, 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 see you in spring. You know, if that's how Starfield is revealed at, at E3, I say we're in great shape. But if E3, I think we're going to st- see Starfield at E3 no matter what. But if they show E3 or Starfield by like, here is a tonal cinematic trailer, like what we got for Fable or Avowed. If they show that and then it just says like, Starfield coming 2022. If it says that, I'm like, we're done here. That game's not coming out anytime soon. So I think that that's the real indicator for us. For us on the outside, that don't have friends to tell us what's going on behind the walls. So that's my guess on all that shit. Next up, uh, Microsoft and Nintendo, are they making kissy face? Let's find out. So just when it started, again, more Windows Central here. So just when it started to look like all the exciting discussion topics from the Epic Games vs. Apple suit had come to a close, one more nugget arrives at the forefront. This time, it's Nintendo inadvertently drawing attention to info that seems that it deems as sensitive. The question on everyone's mind is what? Why is the info so sensitive? So Axion's Steven Patillo raised awareness raised awareness of the situation over Twitter when he said that Nintendo has reacted to a Microsoft uh, executive's de- deposition with the statement that it reflects competitively sensitive information about negotiations going on between the two companies. His tweet reads, Nintendo says that these portions of an Xbox biz developer executive's deposition uh, in the Epic vs. Apple case, quote, reflect competitive sensitive information about negotiations between Nintendo and Microsoft and that she was primarily deposed about trying to bring xCloud and iOS on a more broadly discussed console biz. So, of course, earlier this year, in last year, there was a lot of speculation about xCloud or Game Pass or something coming to Nintendo Switch. And, of course, we know Phil Spencer's been very friendly with Nintendo in recent years. And that Nintendo's been kind of warming up to Xbox a little bit, which has been weird to see. Um, but, yeah, it sure show, it seems like, you know, someone's trying to hide something in this regard. Now, the images that they released, the, the court hearing documents with the redacted portions and the censored portions all blacked out. Uh, it doesn't really reveal much. In fact, it's almost impossible to really to really draw anything from this. But nonetheless, what we do know is Nintendo is basically saying, hey, this is a conversation between Nintendo and Xbox that we really don't want to have out in the open. This is sensitive information. And so Nintendo, as we all know, is super conservative with this kind of shit and is constantly always so overprotective over everything that they're involved with. So this could be Nintendo just being Nintendo. You know, they're they're the guys who want to find the six-year-old uploading a video of him playing Kirby and then, you know, demonetize the fucking child uh, because their money, their games, you know. So this is Nintendo we're talking about. Take everything with a grain of salt. But here's the thing, and I know this is most people's argument, but it makes sense. On Nintendo, on Nintendo's platform, you've got third-party games like doom and shit like that coming every once in a blue moon but no one gives a shit why do people buy nintendo switch well if you look at the numbers it's mario kart and animal crossing and if you look at the numbers past that it's like zelda and mario 
Um, but it's the reason why people buy Nintendo Switch is because the Nintendo games. Nintendo only puts their games on Nintendo platforms, so don't worry about it. You're selling your Nintendo Switch consoles not for those Just Dance ports, not for those Doom 2016 ports. And yes, you get a lot of Japanese support for some JRPGs and in manga anime games and this and that. And those help, especially in territories like Japan of selling consoles. But for the most part, your global market gives a shit about Nintendo Switch because they want to play Animal Crossing during a pandemic. Because they want to play Mario Kart Wii U on their Nintendo Switch. Because they want to play Zelda. Because whatever. And so it stands to reason from Nintendo's point of view that if they put xCloud on Switch... It would only further draw people to the Switch and it wouldn't hurt them. Because people would go, wow, now if I buy a Switch, I can play my Animal Crossing, my Mario Kart, and all that bullshit. But also, I can play Xbox games and I don't even have to buy an Xbox. That makes Switch even more enticing. And so maybe in a weird roundabout way, it helps Nintendo. Even though, you know, people worry, oh, well, if we buy xCloud and all that shit, we won't spend money on the eShop, and then Nintendo makes less money, but now we have all this data, Microsoft has all this data that says, oh, well, people actually spend more money when they have Game Pass, so here's the data that shows they'll probably spend more in the eShop than than they would if they didn't have Game Pass, blah, 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 and it becomes suddenly the story of, well, Nintendo has a lot to gain here. And Xbox doesn't care about the basic stuff. Xbox doesn't care about the getting people to buy our hardware or getting people to buy our games on our console as much. They care more about growing Game Pass subscription numbers. So if Xbox isn't focused on the console units and the number of copies of games sold as much as Nintendo and Sony are, and they just want to grow the Game Pass sub numbers, and Nintendo cares about selling Switch hardware and selling Nintendo games and having something like Game Pass or xCloud on Switch still helps that, and just draws more attention to the Switch, then I guess it's kind of a win-win for both sides, right? And I think that's what this is getting at. So I'm not saying xCloud confirmed for Nintendo Switch. You know, obviously, the, I think at this point, it's pretty obvious that these conversations have happened between Nintendo and Microsoft. It's just a matter of whether or not anything comes to be as a result of it. You know, Banjo-Kazooie coming to coming to Smash Bros. and Ori in the Blind Forest and Cuphead coming to Switch and all these things. Th- these are not coincidences. These are the results of a careful relationship built between Microsoft and Nintendo. Formed around something we don't know. And I assume it has everything to do with Game Pass. Everything to do with xCloud. So have these conversations been happening? Almost certainly. Does that mean something? we're getting something out of this? Maybe, maybe not. It's Nintendo, guys, okay? So, if there's one thing I learned from years and years of being a Nintendo fan, it is whatever it is you hope for, whatever it is you expect, shoot that expectation in the fucking chest and let it die. Because Nintendo will always go against what you want. Right now, there are Pokemon fans around the world celebrating and crying tears of joy because they got a sequel to Pokemon Snap, a game that Nintendo almost certainly would have never let happen, even though they don't really operate Pokemon to more the Pokemon company, whatever. Nintendo always finds a way to read your mind, know what it is you want deep down inside, and make sure you don't get it. So I wouldn't hold my breath on this one. Yes, these conversations have most definitely been happening, but I don't think that's a guarantee anything's coming from this. But yes, this is just further confirmation that Nintendo and Microsoft talk, they have talked, and Nintendo doesn't want this information getting out because I don't think they, they have made a decision either which way. But Nonetheless, cool to see more confirmation that that is a thing that has been discussed about in some way, shape, or form. Next, GamesIndustry.biz reports that Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment is on the move after all. Parent company AT&T 
has uh, made the decision to sell the Mortal Kombat publisher. Sorry, after parent company AT&T's discussions to sell the publisher fell apart last year, AT&T and Discovery announced this week that they have reached a deal that will see the telecom giant spin off the entire Warner Media operation into a standalone merger uh, company with Discovery. As in the new terms of the deal, AT&T will receive $43 billion as part of the new Warner Media division, and AT&T shareholders will also receive 71% of the new company's stock and Discovery shareholders splitting the rest. The company has argued that the transaction will give AT&T money to invest in its mobile and broadband efforts, specifically rolling out 5G and fiber networks. While Discovery will um, boast a larger library of film, TV, and other content to bolster its value in streaming uh, business, specifically with HBO Max and Discovery Plus. Beyond that, the deal is expected to close in the middle of next year, pending approval by Discovery shareholders and regulatory approvals. Now, continuing on with the story, IGN's Julia Alexander followed up on this story and has now reported new information that the deal will include some parts of WarnerMedia Interactive Entertainment's business, but not all of it. So WB Games' website lists 11 offices worldwide, six of them known uh, for their known by their location, including NetherRealm Studios, which is the Mortal Kombat guys, Monolith Productions, which is the which is the Shadow of Mordor guys, TT Games, which is the Lego game guys, Rocksteady Games, which is the Batman Arkham games, and Avalanche Software, which is my beloved Disney Infinity developers now working on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Butt Crack. Beyond those, Warner Bros. Games has a Los Angeles headquarters and five more offices known by their locations, WB Games, Montreal, San Francisco, etc. A WB Interactive Entertainment spokesperson have not commented on this development as of yet. So this is really interesting. So after all, you know, after we said smart of them to see the value in all these IP they own and all these games that make tons and tons of money anyway... Uh, it is good for AT&T to hang on to this Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment and to not move forward with selling it. Yet here we are, and they've gone ahead and done it anyway. Uh, Discovery, an interesting an interesting cat to inter- intercept and to earn this. I don't really have feelings or thoughts on any of that either which way. It's just boring companies earning new shit. But I think the important thing to know here, the interesting thing for us to note, gaming-related more so, is that the fact that the different studios will kind of be split up, it seems like, that they'll get some of the interactive entertainment business, but not all of it. So I'm curious to see what that what that means. Um, will they merge some of these studios? Will they just straight up disband some of these studios? Um, are they planning on keeping some and selling some or spitting some off? So this is what really gets me is, and this kind of plays into it, like the next story we have after this, but it almost makes me wonder, is AT&T looking to sell off some of these 11 studios to like other publishers, like is EA buying one and Activision's buying one and then Discovery will absorb the remainders that aren't being bought to, by other publishers. Is Microsoft buying one of these? Like what, it, what is that story look like? And I think that's the interesting thing here because when you think about their main studios and, and the article lists the main ones or the ones I would also deem as the main ones, you think of NetherRealm, the guys who make Mortal Kombat, you want them. They, make game, they, they have this awesome release schedule of like, uh, they make those Mortal Kombat games, then they make those Injustice uh, DC fighting games. And they come out like clockwork every couple of years, and they sell tons and tons and tons of copies, and they're very profitable. That's a studio you want to own, no matter who you are, whether you're in games or not, because that is a well-oiled machine that kind of runs itself and makes a lot of money. Then you look next, Nether or Monorail, sorry, Monorail, Monolith Productions, and you go, well, those are the Shadow War guys. 
they've made very, very, very profitable single player games. Don't know why you wouldn't want to hang on to them, although we don't know really what they're working on too much at the moment. We're not terribly sure what they're working on at the moment, so that one's a little more like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing with that. They'd be they'd be ripe for like a Ubisoft or an EA. I'm just saying. Um, then you look at TT Games, the guys that make the Lego games. Well, they churn those things out like butter, although that new Star Wars one they're working on has been kind of gunked up for a while. That's a lot of money. These guys make tons and tons of Lego games. They sell like crack. You'd want that. Again, same thing as another realm. They are a well-oiled machine that kind of runs itself and makes a lot of money. Rocksteady Studios, when they do make games, they make massive amounts of money, although they haven't made a game in quite a while, so that's a little bit of a weird one. And then you have my precious Avalanche Software, which makes me nervous because they, they don't really release... They don't have a history of releasing like the biggest games ever made, but I, I love them anyway. Um, more importantly, though, they are working on a very big Harry Potter game right now, which is probably going to sell like crack when it comes out. All the bad press around J.K. Rowling and the games media constantly railing against this game because they have a political agenda to push against J.K. Rowling. Like, I, I'm I'm not I'm not saying this to be political or divisive in any way. I'm saying all that talk surrounding that kind of shit draws attention to the game, whether you like it or not. So that is going to draw lots of attention to this. And then that whole point only comes second to the main point, which is they're making a motherfucking Harry Potter RPG game. You don't think everyone and their grandma's gonna buy that fucking game? It's like Harry Potter is one of those franchises that's like so painfully ripe for a very, very high quality, high polished, well-made AAA video game. It's like when Rocksteady made Batman Arkham Asylum. It's like, wow, why did it take this long for someone to really put the care and effort into making a great Batman game? Or like when they made Monolith made Shadow of War and everyone was like, why did it take so long for someone to put this much care and effort into a great Lord of the Rings game? And... I think that's what Avalanche Software is in the position of doing right now with Harry Potter. Now that they're not Disney's churn and burn movie tie-in game studio and they're Warner Bros. Like, put your put all the time and money needed into this really fine Harry Potter project. I think they're on track to be the Harry Potter equivalent of what Rocksteady is to Batman, of what Monolith is to Lord of the Rings. And, and that's exactly what WB has been in the process of propping Avalanche up to be. And again, I think, you know, we don't know if it all pans out yet. They haven't released the game yet. But if it works out as intended, now you've got another one of those massive tentpole studios that makes this really, really profitable Harry Potter thing that everyone in the world wants to play and everyone buys and sells millions of copies and makes lots of money. So these are valuable studios is what I'm getting at. And I don't know why AT&T would want to get rid of that. I, I feel like you would want to just kind of let that operate in the corner as its own thing and continue to do its thing because for the most part, they own very successful studios that make lots and lots of money. But nonetheless, I understand if you're trying to focus on a totally different vertical of a totally different business, gaming can be a massive distraction. It is a huge resource and production distraction, I guess. So with Discovery, I would assume that they're acquiring of these studios would basically mean they are going to let these this WB Interactive Entertainment division continue to operate as it was and just kind of let it run its thing unless there are massive production hiccups behind the scenes we just didn't know about how this studio has been about how this um, studio umbrella this games umbrella has been run uh, I must say I assume basically this goes one of two ways either these studios basically just keep to get get to keep trucking along doing their thing as they were and all is well, or 
they're going to spin these off one by one. And we're going to see like, oh, well, EA is buying Monolith and Ubisoft is buying uh, uh, Rocksteady and Avalanche is going over to be disbanded. And uh, TT Games is going to fucking Nintendo or obviously not. But you see that kind of being the thing, right? Where these kind of just get split off and sold off into different verticals. And... It's a smart, I mean, if you're EA, if you're Activision, if you're Microsoft, these these are great opportunities to get some real talent, some great IP under your belt. But at the same time, if you're AT&T or if you're Discovery, it's like, you don't want that to be the case. These are really good studios that make really high quality games. Like, that's a big missed opportunity if you are trying to make money. So, I don't know, we'll have to continue to to follow that development, but I find this quite interesting that now it looks like what we're going to watch is this who gets to stay in the fold and who gets cut out. And that'll be interesting to see. I think, I think teams like NetherRealm and TT games in particular are really safe uh, just because of their consistency, their hit, their track record um, and the, in the value of the IP that they, that they release Rocksteady, I would have said is more, is more safe. But the fact that, you know, their last game was Batman Arkham Knight in 2015 and they haven't put out a game since Although we know what they're working on next. It's just they haven't put out a game since. So that, that must be a very expensive studio to run. Uh, but we'll, we'll follow up on that once we know more, of course. And then next, speaking of Monolith, uh, GamesIndustry.biz reports that Electronic Arts has announced it has tapped uh, former Monolith Productions VP and studio head Kevin Stevens to head up a new studio at C- in the Seattle area. The studio doesn't have a name yet but it will be working to create a new open-world action-adventure game. Stevens knows the genre well, having overseen Monolith Productions' development of Middle-Earth series Shadow of Mordor and and Shadow of War. The move will also reunite Stevens with the EA Senior VP and Group General Manager, Samantha Ryan. Ryan was the president of Monolith Productions in the late 90s, and the pair worked together at Monolith uh, and its eventual parent, Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment, which we just talked about. Wow. The open world action adventure genre is one of in which EA has a long sought has long sought a foothold from its 2007 acquisition of Mercenaries developer Pandemic, which they then shuttered because they sucked dick, along with BioWare, which don't put out good games anymore apparently, to the Godfather film adaptation to a rec- reported open world Star Wars game by EA Vancouver that was canceled in 2019. Now Ryan tells GamesIndustry.biz in the quote that the action adventure space is a hugely important genre to our industry. And to us at EA, players and fans of those games are so passionate about the uh, are so passionate, and it's also one of my favorite game genres. We've also recently had success with Jedi Fallen Order, and we would love to entertain more fans with similar interests. The name of the studio isn't the only detail up in the air, and it's cl- and it isn't clear yet whether the studio will be entirely based out of Seattle or allowing remote workers. EA is leaving Kevin and his team to kind of figure out where they go from here. The publisher is also giving Stevens some runway to answer those questions, planning the roadmap for the studio, where Ryan says the following, quote, We're still finding out a lot of foundational questions. How big? What games? How fast to grow? Kevin and I both know how important it is to get these foundations right of any studio. And he'll take the time to figure all that out. When you rush, you don't give yourself the time to be thoughtful, so why rush? Ryan declined to say whether the studio will work on ongoing IP or existing brands, but said EA is planning to take a bit more to talk a bit more about the studio this fall. So there is so much to say about nothing here. And I've I've never felt this way about a story before, where I, I just I can go on and on about this story despite the fact that it says nothing. First thing I want to focus on is just that last sentence there because 
it's the last thing that's on my mind, obviously. So let's just jump in. EA will talk a bit more about this studio in the fall. I want to say first things first. Remember that EA is the publisher that likes to do at their EA plays every year. This whole little like, now it's time to announce new games. And everyone's like, fuck yeah, let's let's talk about new games. And then they proceed to do this six minute video where you see like developers working in front of green screens like, at EA Games, we like to produce video games using computers. And with computers and EA's big fucking endless wealth of cash, we will we will create games that will entertain our players for generations to come. And it's like somewhere in the background, you see a sketch piece of like a, a, a Tauntaun from Star Wars. And you're like, confirmed new Star Wars game in the work. And you're just like, okay, no one's excited. Or they'll be like, uh, Bioware has confirmed that we're canceling Dragon Age for the billionth fucking time. Uh, everyone has left and rejoined the studio for the 17th time. And we are focusing on our efforts on a new Mass Effect game. And somewhere in the background on someone's iPad mini, you see a fucking picture of like the Bioware logo and then like a photoshopped version of like Shepard uh, holding the middle finger up to a guy cutting him off in traffic on Interstate 4. And you're just like, what the fuck does this mean? No one is excited about this news because it's just nothing. And so when you tell me EA's plan to talk more about the studio in the fall, it tells me we're going to get a video of these two studio heads getting in front of a camera in front of a green screen and being like, we are incredibly entertained by our community's engagement with our content. And it's like, what the fuck does that mean? They're like, and we are excited to bring new experiences that will delight our players for generations to come. Uh, video games are at the forefront of our vision to entertain and empower players regardless of uh, blah, 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 blah. And then they'll be like, uh, studio coming game happening TBA. And, and we'll all just walk away and go, wow, another fucking mediocre presentation from EA. I'm glad they paid off all these uh, game podcasters and media influencers to present Apex Legends DLC, uh, Madden NFL announcements, and then have developers tell us about uh, vague platitudes and, and, and really reveal a whole lot of nothing. And so that's the first things first. And with that said, from what I just said there and from what all these quotes throughout the story read, we also know this studio isn't doing shit for a very long time. They don't know what it's called. They don't know what they're making. They don't know what properties they're working with. They don't know how big the studio will be. Therefore, they don't know the scale of the game they can work on. They don't know anything, or at least they have nothing to announce. This is very much like, we're seeing too many studios formed and announced like this, and it's kind of frustrating me, where it's like, hey, we've got this key piece of talent this human, this individual, we have this beating heart that will be working at this studio. And because that individual, because that fucking piece of carbon will be sitting in this goddamn studio working behind a computer desk, we feel the need to tell the world about this new studio we're forming. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. How about you form the studio, get some ideas down, think about what you're going to make, maybe build a couple things here and there, decide on something you know, build some kind of proof of concept of what it is that team is going to make before you go ahead and start shouting on the rooftops, we're starting a new studio. It's like, shut up, dude. Because what this really tells me is this is EA's way of saying, investors, we still care about single player content. Don't forget about us. Or saying, gamers, stop making fun of us for closing all the studios that made good first player, uh, single player games. We still care about single player games. In fact, we're starting a new studio that's going to make a single player game. It's like, Okay, what the fuck does that mean? So, 
I see a story like this, I'm just like, this is a lot and lot of a lot of context and layering and bullshit to say nothing. This is like Sony just announced a studio like this too. They're like, they have some like production manager who worked on Assassin's Creed and they're going nuts about it. They're like, oh yeah, this person's gonna work at this new studio. And it's like the studio just has like a 12 point times new Roman font. And um, and they they haven't done anything, but they you know a couple of the people that will pro- possibly work at the studio went out for coffee the other day, and they felt pretty strong that they would probably be able to make a game together if they put their minds to it. It's like okay, gamers don't give a shit about that. Like fuck off, go make a go make a demo or something, and then you know come back to us when you got something to show us. Like who cares, man? Yes, Jedi Fallen Order came out. It sold millions of copies and did very well. It was a good game. No one gives a shit, dude. Like, we're done with Jedi Fallen Order. It was good. Respawn makes good games. We believe in Respawn. Stop using that as, like, clout to get us to think that this new studio is any different. Like, shut the fuck up. Just, like, go go do your thing. Go form your studio. Make your studio. Figure out what you're going to do. And then come and tell us what's going on here. Until then, kindly fuck off. So, that's... That's... I don't know. I see this story, and really my biggest takeaway from it is, like, oh, the story mentions Pandemic, the developer of Mercenaries... And I still hate EA for shutting down Pandemic because they were one of my favorite developers from back in the day. So that's kind of really all I take away from the story. But I don't know, man. You, let me know if you if you think I was unfair to this story in any way or if you think there's something big and juicy here that I could have dissected from this. But like to me, those kinds of stories are just like a waste of our fucking time. It's like, don't even get this shit out of here, man. We got two more stories before we jump into the wrap up and small stuff like that. Told you, it's a decent news week, guys. We got a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about. Next up, the Evil Within IP, and this one isn't too big, I guess, but the Evil Within IP has been re-registered. So according to Windows Central on August 7th, 2020, so almost a year ago, Zenimax Media successfully re-registered the Evil Within IP in the US with the US government for quote continued use. By itself, this doesn't really mean anything, but for the trademark uh, purposes, uh, you know, these things are often renewed and updated shortly before new products are under are, are in development or before they are announced. Of course, nothing has officially been announced, so take that with a grain of salt. Tango Gameworks, the developer behind The Evil Within, is currently working on Ghostwire Tokyo, a PlayStation 5 timed exclusive that will head to Xbox at some point in the future. Tango Gameworks likely has their hands full of uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, so Evil Within 3 is... So if it is in the in the works, we probably wouldn't see it for a long while. Evil Within IP is is comfortably in the Microsoft grasp for now, thanks to Mac- Microsoft's acquisition of ZeniMax Media, which includes Tango Gameworks, meaning that Evil Within 3 could be an Xbox PC exclusive if it were ever to be a real thing. And of course, Evil Within 2, the most recent entry in the series, is available through Game Pass and has Xbox FPS boosts and all that good shit because Xbox is cool and PlayStation is dumb, so that's the whole thing. So this is one where I don't think too much about it because, again... IP renewal, you know, even with an IP that I don't know, it's been, it's been around for a while. I think the first one came out like 2014. This happens, you know, IP trademarks or trademarks are up for renewal or whatever. And then the, the company just re-ups the renewal and don't think much of it. Um, but yes, it's, they renew things like this or they, they trademark new variants of the name or whatever. Once a new entry is in the works, but I don't think I should stop. I don't think Bethesda or Tango Gameworks has a new evil within that they're excited to share with us. However, I could see Microsoft being like, okay, 
Um, because Ghostwire Tokyo, you know, with the PS5 timed exclusivity is already locked in, and because, um, you know, and, and because that it gives that association of our game being with PlayStation, let's kind of preemptively announce the next project after Ghostwire Tokyo, even if it's really in pre-pre-pre-production, just so people will know that this is our studio and they're working on games for us, and that even though this game won't be out for a long while, here's what you can expect from them next. Don't think of it as a PlayStation studio. Maybe... In some way, shape, or form, that's what they're doing here, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think they're getting ready to announce a new uh, a new uh, um, Evil Within game. I think this is purely just coincidence and that people are looking too far into this, but nonetheless, we do have to discuss it because it is happening, it is news, and now we care more about uh, Tango Gameworks in relation to the show because they are an Xbox studio, uh, technically, so... There's that. And then our last big story here is coming from Windows Central. Rockstar parent company Take-Two held its fourth quarter earnings call this week where it revealed how Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto the series uh, has sold and how many upcoming games that we can look forward to. As it turns out, Take-Two has a lot of games in the pipeline across its studios. Between now and the end of Take-Two's fiscal year in 2024, uh, it plans to release over 60 games. However, before you get too excited, keep in mind that many of these are going to be of the mobile variety. Uh, however, they do tout that they want many of these to be seen as immersive core games, meaning Xbox, PlayStation type of hardcore games, uh, blah, blah, blah. But there are a mix of mobile and independent and things like that in there as well. So they they release like this uh, chart kind of thing. And basically they're saying is by the end of fiscal year 2024, and after adding on another 1,500 developers over the past two years to ramp up produ- production, they're planning on having four immersive core, what they're calling immersive core games, release next year in fiscal 2022. And then the two years following that have it massively shoot up to a release of about 19 immersive core games, um, bringing the total to 23 immersive core games by the end of 2024 uh, fiscal year, which includes you know what they consider big triple a xbox whatever type game so that's anything from like your big sports releases to your grand theft autos to your la noirs those types of games the rest are made up of a total of six independent games so smaller games made by independent studios 20 mobile games so a decent amount of mobile games things come into your iphone or whatever it is mid-core games which they release they they note four of and i i assume when they say a game like a mid-core game they're talking about something like mafia you know um, and then it's, or, and then it says new iterations of previously released titles. They say nine. So that's the real interesting thing is that nine previous new iterations compared to the 23 immersive core, which I'm thinking, does that mean a sequel to Grand Theft Auto, a sequel to Red Dead, that kind of thing being one of the nine, or does that fall in the 23 and the, the nine being more of like mean like next gen upgrades, like bringing GTA 5 to PS5 and Xbox Series X or like an upgraded boost to Red Dead Redemption. So that's that's what I wonder here. But keep in mind, you know, Take-Two's been ramping up a lot and they're, and they're ramping up a lot in the racing game uh, realm as well. So a lot of these games are going to be of the racing game variety. But nonetheless, we can expect to see a lot more from Take-Two over the course of the next few years, which is pretty exciting stuff as they haven't traditionally been one of the, you know, they, they they make money like an EA or an Activision, but they don't get the press of like an EA or an Activision. And now with this kind of game output, they're about to be kind of bigger in a way than like an EA or an Activision. So it'll be interesting to keep eyes locked on Take-Two over the coming years. Now, 
Let's wrap up with the new games from Xbox Wire that are coming to Game Pass this week. So available now, Psychonauts is finally on Game Pass, available through Windows 10, Android phones, through xCloud, console, whatever. Psychonauts now on Game Pass with Psychonauts 2 on the horizon. SnowRunner for console, cloud, and PC is available now. Then on May 20th, you got Peggle 2 on cloud through EA Play. Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville on cloud through EA Play. Uh, continuing with May 20th, we got Secret Neighbor on PC, The Catch, Carp and Course Fishing on Cloud Console and PC, and The Wild at Heart on Cloud and PC. On May 21st, we got Knockout City coming to console and PC through EA Play. On May 25th, we got Man Eater Cloud Console and PC, which I'm excited about. I've always wanted to play that game. I've heard great things about it. Then Conan Exiles on Cloud and Console on May 27th, optimized for Series X. And then on continuing with May 27th, we got Fusion Frenzy, Fusion Frenzy coming to cloud, Joyride Turbo coming to cloud. Keep in mind, Joyride, that IP that was supposed to be a free game for Xbox 360 back in the day, and then they never put it out for free. It's supposed to be an Avatar Mario Kart arcade racing game. I'm still salty about that all these years later. Mech Warrior 5 Mercenaries comes to console on May 27th. Continuing with May 27th, we got Slime Rancher on PC, Solasta, Crown of the magister coming to pc and coming to pc lastly we got spell force 3 soul harvest and then with all that we've got a couple of cloud and touch enabled game sorry cloud enabled games with xbox touch controls coming for um x cloud uh so a handful of new games getting that touch control support are banjo 2e call of the sea uh genesis noir narita boy near automata become as gods Rain on Your Parade, and Two Point Hospital. And then finally, leaving Game Pass on May 31st, we have the following games. Assetto Corsa on Cloud and Console, Broforce on PC. On Console, we've got Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix and Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. (gasps) Surviving Mars on Cloud Console and PC, and Void Bastards on Cloud Console and PC. And with that, that will do it for all of our news this week, except for, of course... Important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which we've got a couple to rattle off here, so let's fly through them. First of all, GamesIndustry.biz says that Microsoft has revealed that the new that the Xbox Series X and S consoles will launch in mainland China next month. Both consoles will release on June 10th, and pre-orders are scheduled to begin on May 19th through the Microsoft Store. The recommended price for the Series X is 3899 uh one which is 600 bucks while the series x is 2399 one which is 372 us dollars pretty cool it's really awesome to see that a lot of uh mainland chinese consumers are going to be starting to get more access to what we in the west have traditionally had access to for video game consoles keep in mind up until pretty recently a lot of Chinese gamers have only had access to PC gaming, and even then it's been pretty limited due to their communist government kind of blocking them from enjoying any semblance of the real world. So it's pretty awesome to see that a lot of new gamers are going to be introduced to more and more Xbox and have the opportunity to play these games. So that's really exciting. That's a story that actually makes me pretty happy for all the new soon-to-be Xbox gamers out there. Um Windows Central also reports finally that the Ascent has been given a launch date. The Ascent, the top-down twin-stick shooting uh, RPG-looking whatever game that looks so fucking cool, cyberpunk-looking game, will launch on July 29th, 2021 for Series X, Series S, Xbox One, and PC. And oh yes, it's launching on Game Pass Day 1 granting millions of players access straight away. The Ascent will be optimized for Series X and S, supporting 4K60 on the X, 
And it, the game will also support smart delivery, meaning that you'll get the best version of the game no matter what console you're playing on. Zero hassle, no bitching, no moaning, no optimizing. Just put the game on your console and enjoy a very fun game. Hopefully. I can't wait to play it. Windows Central also reports that starting to, starting this week, Xbox has begun celebrating 20 years of Xbox and 20 years of Halo, meaning that millions of fans along uh, for the ride will begin to celebrate uh, along with the, the company, the brand. There's already a lot to look forward to. Xbox is playing announcements, activities, ways to celebrate, and a bunch of merch. Xbox has a uh, bunch of 20-year anniversary merch, which you can already start buying now. Some of it is Halo 20-year merch. Uh, the merch line includes shirts, hats, mugs, bags, more. You'll be able to see all that shit online, so just go ahead and look it up. I almost bought some of it, but none of it looks that good. Uh, Xbox superfans can also now register for the Xbox Fan Fest, which will now uh, which is now being expanded to, ex- uh, to exclusive physical and digital events, new content, merch, giveaways, and more. So stay tuned throughout the year to learn more about that. And then... NextGamesIndustry.biz reports that Square Enix has announced in its earning calls in its earning call for fiscal year 2020 uh, that it has reported its highest revenues in the company history for fiscal year ending in March 31st. Net sales were reported at 332 billion yen, three billion uh, U.S. dollars, up 27 and a half percent year over year. Operating income was up 44 percent to 47 billion 400 yen, sorry, 429 million U.S. dollars, while ordinary income was up 55 and a half percent, which is 456 million dollars. The company also noted that the release of Marvel's Avengers and Final Fantasy VII Remake contributed to the highest net sales uh, for digital marketing entertainment for digital entertainment in the last year. Net sales were up 40 percent year over year. Um, at $2.4 billion, while operating income was $456 million and saw a 43% increase year over year. It wasn't entirely positive as Square Enix did report losses when we're seen uh, when it's with its amusement segment. Amusement facilities in Japan closed due to COVID-19 throughout 2020, um, and net sales for the division were $310 million US million, which is a 25% decrease year over year. For the current year, the publishers forecast net sales of $3.1 billion, up up 2% over year, year over year. Uh, operating and ordinary income are expected to reach $365 million, an increase of 15 and 20% respectively. So that's actually a big story kind of that I put in the small story section uh, just because they lost so much money on Marvel's Avengers and somehow turned it all around. So that's a pretty impressive turnaround for them. We know that Final Fantasy seven remake sold stupid good numbers. So that's not surprising, but the fact that they managed to turn things around despite Marvel Avengers being a super high cost game to develop and market and then still somehow turned around despite the initial woes is pretty impressive. And then next, Windows Central says that GTA 5 is coming to Series X and S at some point, and we finally have a date. Rockstar has revealed that it will come out November 11, 2021, with new features and enhancements in tow. Rockstar hasn't detailed what the enhancements will be, but rest assured, people will continue to play Grand Theft Auto till the end of fucking time, because GTA 5 is still charting on MPD, even though it came out on the Xbox 360. Think about that while I read this next story. Windows Central reports that Deep Silver have announced today that Saints Row the Third Remastered is being upgraded and released for free on Series X and S on May 25th, 2021. The next-gen slash current-gen upgrade has a pretty thorough update, includes improvements like greater performance settings similar to PC editions, improved lighting texture resolutions and all that, faster load speeds up to 4K 60fps on Series X, up to 1080p 60fps and 4K 30 on Series S, and a free upgrade via smart delivery on Xbox, because being on Xbox is so cool. 
Guys, that is going to do for all of our news this week. Now, real fast, let's just jump into the new game releases of the week, of which there are 12. We've been running so long this week, guys. I'm just going to run through. I'm not even going to try to be cute. So we got 12 new games. Zero Degrees out May 19th. It is a cold indie game. We got Aerial Knights Never Yield May 19th. Optimized for Series X, even though it looks like an old game from new new times. Crossroads Inn, which is an old game with knights and elves and lots of fish. May 19th. Continuing with May 19th, we got Outbreak Endless Nights, optimized for Series X and S. It is some kind of horror-looking shooty game. Jane the Silent Bob Mall Brawl, May 20th, Xbox One X Enhanced. How do you One X Enhance a Game Boy game? I don't know. They're going to do it. Rust Console Edition, May 20th. Finally, that's coming out. You guys have been waiting so long, I'm sure you don't care anymore. Sure Footing, May 20th, Xbox One X Enhanced. Play it anywhere. We talked about that last week, so I guess it got delayed for a week. Wild at Heart, May 20th, optimized for Series X and S. Smart Delivered. Game Pass. Lots of ways to play it even though I'm not going to play it. Cosmic Top Secret, it is a game with a cell phone in the picture, comes out May 21st, and Guards comes out May 21st as well, top-down looking game, but not the top-down game I'm looking for, not The Ascent, Knockout City, May 21st, Optimized Series X and S, Game Pass Ultimate, blah, 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 and lastly, Rising Hell, May 21st, Xbox Play Anywhere, looks kind of cool, might check it out. And with that out of the way, as a reminder, real quick, Games of Gold, guys, are... Armello is available for the rest of the month. Download it. Uh, Dungeons 3 is available till June 15th. Download it. Lego Batman, ah, you missed it. And Tropico 4, available until May 31st. So, download it. Now, that is going to do it for our entire episode of Xbox On, guys. We ran pretty long. I'd say we did a pretty good job. I talked and talked and talked. And you may or may not have listened. So, I do appreciate, as always, your support, guys. 102 weeks in the can. And now, speaking of the can, I'm going to hit stop recording and go take a leak. So thank you all, as always, for listening. Until next week, power your dreams. Keep your head up. Above.